Hello, I'm Jacqueline Hellier. Welcome to the Tantric Lounge, where we talk sex, science and spirituality and generally through some rather interesting conversations, open you up to the awesome potential of your human sexuality. And I'm joined with my co-host, Xavier Watercane. Yes, human sexuality in all its awesomeness. Indeed. And, of course, our program again is brought to you by Lilo. It is, our wonderful sponsors. Yes, Lilo is the world's leading... Leading... Let me try that again. Lilo is the world's leading designer brand for intimate lifestyle products. Launched in 2003, Lilo is famous for transforming the look, feel, and function of how personal massages are perceived. Personal massager. Isn't that a nice term? It's beautiful. And just as they've transformed the way people look at what were previously called sex toys, so have I transformed sex education and awakening of sexual awareness in general. It is all about transformation. Tantra really is all about transformation. And today's topic is... Today's topic... The most incredible of all transformations, the maturation of... Children. Of children into mature sexual beings and also how in that process Mm -hmm. we can give them a more sex-positive attitude. Yes, we're talking about how to raise your children to be sex-positive. That's the topic of today's program. But first, what's yes. the latest on Planet Jacqueline? The latest on Planet Jacqueline? Well, oh my gosh, I have been running the most awesomely beautiful, wonderful events. I did three workshops in a row, uh, evening workshops, one for men, one for women, and one for couples. Um, that sort of covers everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does covers pretty much everyone. There's a few people who might be sort of in between. But it was really wonderful. And on the third evening when I had the couples, there were of the seven couples present, five of the gentlemen had been there on the Tuesday, three of the women had been there on the Wednesday, which really made it very powerful. And then over the weekend, I ran a three-day Luscious Lovers retreat up in the, the bush in the mountains. And oh, my God. Everybody was... Wonderful about that. Oh, it was just lovely. It was so good listening to the feedback at the end. They were all saying they got so much more out of it than they had ever expected. And we strongly encourage people, if they can't get to one of your workshops, mm-hmm. to at least find a workshop that works for them. Because mm. there is a difference between talking about sex mm. and actually participating in a workshop where you get to do more hands-on stuff. Mm. Not necessarily hands-on genitals. No, no, not in a workshop. Not in a workshop. No, that's homework. That's homework. Yep. But ha- but hands-on in the sense of mm. being able to allow your body to experience what your mind is and heart is beginning to experience. Yes, indeed. In fact, um, there was a couple there who I'd worked with for quite some time who'd wanted to improve their sex life. And at the end of it, they said how powerful it had been for them to be there for the three days. And they realised, because I'd been encouraging them to come along to a retreat. I thought it was really good. And they were a little bit reluctant because they weren't sure if they needed it or whether it might be a bit embarrassing. And at the end, they were saying, wow, we really get why the experiential aspect is so important because it was, it was now completely, it was embodied in them. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, they were, they were transformed. So I just want to remind our listeners who aren't in Australia, well, the ones who are in Australia as well, that uh, if they want a bit of luscious loving as a couple, they can come over to my Bali retreat in May. Okay. So let's talk about bringing up kids to be sex positive. Uh, Yes, let's. All right. So now you have a story to tell Mm. about your eldest Yes, yes. Let me share my story about my eldest. So my eldest child's now 18. Yes. Well, in fact, he's not a child. He's an adult now. Let's call him Ralph. Ralph. Yes, let's not call him Ryan. We'll- no! no! 
you sc- well, you're gonna have to edit Ralph. that one out. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. It's, it's live. Too late. Okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ralph. Ralph. Uh, <laughs> we tried to get Ralph to come and talk on the program, but he was a little bit shy. Yes. Yes. It's hard having a mother who's a internationally famous sex therapist. Sometimes, <laughs> <I think. laughs> okay. Anyway, so Ralph. Anyway. He, Ralph is what three years old? When. When five. he was no, when he was five. He was five. When he was five, and he'd started school, and um, he came home from school one day, and he was sniggering and carrying on. He was like, "Mom, Dad, do you do chortle, chortle, yes, chortle, snigger, snigger?" You know, and um, he just calmly looked. Well, at he him. couldn't get the e and the x out. He only got well, the it was just the s, s. Yeah, and and we just calmly looked at him and said, "Well." Yes, that's mummy and daddy's cuddle time, right? And he looked completely perplexed. Now, to put things into context, mm. what was his experience of cuddle time? Just let, let's, let's, let's explain what cuddle well, time was and what he'd been told up to that point. Well, exactly. He knew that mummy and daddy have cuddle time, right? And mum, they, when mummy and daddy have cuddle time, they cuddle each other a lot and they make love. And they make love for each other and therefore they make love for the family. And mummy and daddy like to, you know, be in private when they have cuddle time. Those are the words you use? Yeah, those are the words I used. And they didn't ask for clarification? Completely cool. He knows that cuddles are lovely. Okay. He loves cuddling. He loves cuddle time. Understands that mummy and daddy like cuddle time as well, Mm -hmm. right? So he could not reconcile in his little five-year-old brain that this very normal and quite beautiful thing that mummy and daddy do called cuddle time could be in any way associated with this sordid, naughty, oh, we can't even talk about it thing called S. And I have to say, I'm very pleased that his early introduction to sex and lovemaking was the the beautiful concept of cuddle time and not this sordid concept, this naughty, bad thing of S. Well, what do you imagine that he was being told at school that made him come home sniggering and carrying on and chortling? Well, what most people first find out about S, sex, sorry, let's <laughs> use adult language here, that, you know, it's something you know, we've, we've talked about before, that there's still this concept in our society that sex is bad somehow. It would be a fascinating exercise, though, I think, mm. and there's probably a PhD in it for somebody to go into a kindergarten mm. and just record five-year-olds talking about sex. Well, yes, except then you come up with all these ethical issues because, of course, in our society, we've put sex in this little box that we don't touch. And one of the big things about this little box around sex is that children aren't sexual, right? Or at least not sex curious. Well, yes. And then then there's all these kind of ethical issues and everyone gets all really uptight because then it's all about pedophilia and how do we separate that out? And it's all too hard. So we're just going to put the whole childhood sexual thing in an even bigger box and padlock it. Because the concept that five-year-olds might even talk about sex and that you might research that. I'm just interested in what they say to each other because it's been yeah. a long time and I've forgotten. Oh, yeah. But what I'm saying is is that would you even get ethical approval to do that research? Mm. Um, you, of course, you have two other children. I do have two other children. Which who we are will not give code names to yet. <laughs> 12 and 10 years old. Yes. 12-year-old they girl, 10-year-old boy. They were the same. It's the same process. Yeah, they've been brought up the same the way. The same way. The yep. cuddle time was the explanation. And that's probably mm-hmm. an optimal explanation. Hmm. For a young child until they start getting new vocabulary. When does this new vocabulary begin? Well, my eldest, Ralph, when he was five. That's when he heard the word sex. 
And how often would the subject come up? No, not very often. Didn't and when, need to. He didn't need to. Well, didn't need to because, like, he was actually okay with the whole thing. He just thought they were all a bit odd. <laughs> like, why knows what they'd be sniggering about something that was actually really so ordinary. All right, so I'm going to magically put you in charge of sex education. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I'm going to wave my arms and wave my arms and cast a huge spell. You're now magically in charge of sex education. Right. For Australia. Oh, the Let's world. Oh, the world. Oh, the world. Okay, make the whole world. I wasn't going to try out the United States because that's a can of worms. But um, let's... I think Australia's a can of worms. I think okay. anywhere is anywhere it. Oh, right, let's worms. stick okay. to Australia. No, 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 let's stick to the whole world. Okay, you have sex edu- you're in charge of sex education of the whole world. What would you do? What would I do? Oh, that, that's tricky. You didn't prepare me for this, Saviour. Yeah, but I have I thought- to let tell the listeners know that he's just thrown this upon me. I'm, suddenly I'm in charge of sex education in the whole world. All right. Some of the key things that I think we need to do in educating, whether it's as parents or as schools, and I think more importantly as parents because there are limits to what schools can do. But one of the things that's missing from sex education that I have observed is feeling, right? And in particular, the concept that sex is pleasurable, right? Most of the sex education that children get at school, if they get any, fortunately in this country, they all get it, is, although parents can always say no, but basically what they're getting is reproduction education, right? They're learning about how to make babies and how to not make babies, right? And there's often a lot of fear associated around that. Because a lot of it is contraception education. Yes, yes, and not getting, not getting horrible diseases. Oh, yes. And there's I also, forgot about the diseases. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. There's a lot of that in sex education these days. Um, and there's also a lot around, which is good, about respect and so forth. I mean, that's all really good too, but there's still this underlying kind of fear thing that they're getting, right? right? Hmm. <clears throat> now, of course, it may not be the role of the schools to be talking about how to create sexual pleasure and so forth. I'm not going to enter into that argument right now. Let's just assume that that's not the place of schools. So, assuming that it's not the place of schools to teach children or young people about pleasurable sex and lovemaking, let's call it lovemaking, yeah? Where are they going to learn this? Right? A lot of them are learning it from... Porn! And the internet. Yes, yes. We should make a point mm. for all of those parents who are anxious about this sort of stuff or even who just have a normal amount of mm. there is a, a huge point here yes. is that in this generation parents mm. have had less control than mm-hmm. at any other time in history mm. over the education that, that their children get mm. it doesn't matter where you go mm. because well, any subject. the fact of mm. the matter is that our information society and information explosion mm unless you're putting in all sorts of barriers and parental controls on all sorts of equipment, 24-7-365, kids who are curious enough are going to find ways of learning about all sorts of things Mm -hmm. in all sorts of ways Mm. through various electronic media, especially the internet. Yes. You cannot stop that. The genie folks is out of the bottle. (laughs) Yes. Given that reality, mm. which no other generation has had to mm. face. Mm. Oh. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, in our day, when we were young, we had to kind of figure it out. Or we osmosed it. Yes. But generally, it was like just start fiddling around and figure out <laughs> what to do and maybe chat a little bit. But generally, it was just 
figure it so out. So given that the genie is out of the bottle and you can mm. find out anything in any way mm. and not all of it is good. Mm. Good God, no, especially not for young people. You might as well get real with the facts that, mm. okay, since mm. it's out of the bottle anyway, mm -hmm. you'd might as well manage it. Yes, yes. So <clears throat> because the thing is is that kids are not stupid. They know that sex is pleasurable, although it should be pleasurable, right? So they want to get information on how it can be pleasurable. Now, if they're not going to get it from school, if they're not getting it from their parents, then they will get it from the internet. They will look at porn and they will think that's sex, that's sex education. And if they're embarrassed to talk about it to mm -hmm. their parents, mm -hmm. they're going to talk about it to whom? Well, no one. Or each other. Or each other, and they're all equally misinformed. The blind leading the blind. Yes, right. So, um, you know, and I've, I've encountered so many young people who have got completely the wrong idea about what sex is, and it really is the opposite to what the tantric approach is, which is all about, you know, depth and meaning and connection and energy and extreme yumminess, and it's more about <clears throat> performance and, you know, bigger, harder, faster, and lots of big orgasms. When young people do talk to you about this sort of stuff, mm. what sort of misconceptions do they come up with? What, what do mm. they actually say to you? Yes, yes. So, for example, I was actually at my son's um, year 12, or that's the end of high school here, um, formal. It was their graduation formal. And um, I was you know, one of the parental supervisors and ended up going and having a chat. This is prom night. It's like prom night, yes, yes. Anyway, so uh, Ralph was sitting with a bunch of his friends and I wandered over and they all went, oh, oh, are you, are you Ralph's mother? Are you Ralph's mother? And I'm like, yes, I am. And so they're all sort of saying, oh, can we talk to you? Can we talk to you? Like that's how desperate they are to get some decent information. And there was one young, young girl in how particular. They, how, they, how they could even question that you're his mother is beyond me because you're practically clones. Well, yes, we you're do. just a fa you're just you're just a female version of him with about twenty years, and but he's just practically. I mean, there's no question about the maternity issue there, right? Yes. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so there was one young girl in particular who came over to me. Please, 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 you've got to help me. I really need your help. Can I please ask a question? Right. So I said, okay, all right, come on over. So here she is. So she's about 18 and she says to me, look, I just don't know what to do. How long should it take for me to reach orgasm? Right? And my answer was, well, it takes as long as it takes. And she goes, well, what's that? Is that like, is that one minute or is it five minutes? I said, it could be half an hour. Who knows? You might not reach orgasm at all. And the fact is, is that with a new partner, it might take a while because, you know, he's got to get to, or she has to get to know how you tick and, and, and what works. You know, there's, there's actually no length of time that it takes that you should orgasm in. You weren't, la you weren't um, prepared to tell her that it, with tantric sex, it might not happen at all for hours and hours. <laughs> yes, or it might stay there for hours well, it might and hours. Stay there yeah, for it hours was well, well look, I'm talking to an eighteen year old, most eighteen year olds. She's, you know, she was fairly new to the sex thing and you know right. And she was so surprised. She said, Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me know this. How can I pay you? And I said, You know what you can do to really pay me back for this? I said, Go and tell every single one of your friends this important message that porn is not sex education right? And to tell them that it takes as long as it takes and that your introduction to sexuality should be a lovely, slow, gentle exploration. So the first lesson in teaching your kids to be sex positive mm. is porn is not education. <laughs> yes, 
Yes. And it's so important that as parents, you model a positive sexuality. And we'll talk more about modelling a positive sexuality as a parent after the break. We will indeed. So it's so important that as parents, you actually analyse and get in touch with your own values, your own issues, your own hang-ups and work on yourselves as individuals and as a couple so that you feel comfortable, so that between the two of you, sex is like your own personal hobby. Have I talked about sex as a hobby on this show before? I can't You have, but let's just have a little reprise for people who might not So the little reprise of, of sex being a hobby is that I really believe that couples should view their sex life in this way. Like it's a mutually enjoyable activity that they have, right, that they can discuss, that they can work on, that they can look forward to, that they can plan, and that they have... an openness around their discussions around their their sexuality and their love life that they might have if, say, they were into, you know, scuba diving or golf or, you know, travelling or whatever their own particular hobby needs to be, right? When you as as an adult and as a parent feel that comfortable with your own sexuality, well, you just emanate it, right? You'll also be acting in a way to your partner that's very comfortable. You'll be, you know, physically affectionate in front of the children without feeling awkward about it, to the level that you want to be physically affectionate, yes? And you'll be able to do things like explain to small children that mummy and daddy need cuddle time and when the door is closed, please knock. Yes? Fair enough. Because some parents don't like to close the door on their parents and on, on their children. They think that there should be open access at all times. What's one of the other big things that, peop- that young people have as misconceptions about sex? misconceptions that they have well apart from the obvious one that we've been discussing that these days they think they should be able to do everything before they've even started um well the common the same problems that most adults have is like am i normal how often should i be doing it am i too old am i too young (laughs) well let's talk about that uh Mm. i mean there are laws yes all over the place about legal as they should be as they should be what and you think that the laws in place are I think they're quite reasonable. They're quite reasonable. Yes. So, in your head, what's mm. the be- what's the minimum age of consent? Oh, look, I hate to put an age limit on it. I think something happens when children are around about 15, mm-hmm. right? There's a certain level of maturity, certainly by 16. Um, I think anyone to say that a 16-year-old shouldn't be sexually active if they feel that's right for them is, is wrong. Um, <clears throat> You know, but, you know, children do have sex younger than that. And I really think it's it's an individual thing. You know, some children might be ready for it at 14. Others not until they're 24. Um, I think it's more important that, to, that you as parents raise your children to be able to make the right choices for themselves. And certainly to have a strong enough um, relationship with your mm. parents to be able to discuss it and say... Yes. I mean, you wouldn't discuss parachuting. On, on your own. The main, <laughs> and that, it's not that I want to give the impression that sex is fraught with danger, but yes. sex carries some risks. Yes. It carries, as, as in school we get mm. taught, it carries the risk of pregnancy mm-hmm. with heterosexual mm. sex. Mm. It carries the risk of um, diseases. diseases, yes. Yeah. But what they don't talk about is that it carries emotional risks. It carries the risk of trauma. It carries the risk mm. of trauma. So mm. I'm not all that far from saying mm. skydiving, mm. which is also potentially a dangerous activity. Yes. You wouldn't You wouldn't go off skydiving mm. at 15 without talking to your parents first. I want to go skydiving. Absolutely. So I, it's really important that you have mm. a, establish a relationship and say, you know what, I'm really wanting thinking that more and more I would like to try the sex thing. Mm. And the parents have to be at least 
open, open to talking, to talking, about, talking it. about it. Yes. Even if they're not cool with Agreeable, it. Agreeable, yeah. But treating your child like, you know, a, a human being who has, you know, opinions and views and, and really checking in with what they're feeling and, you know, correcting misconceptions and so forth. We don't talk enough about the emotional side of sex. No, we don't. And just to use that parachuting analogy, like if you prepare your parachute jump well, you will have a really lovely time. It'll be exciting. It'll yes. be different. It'll, It'll be, be unlike satisfying. anything that you've ever had before. And you'll finish your jump thinking, oh, that was really good. But if you don't prepare your parachute jump well, then it can be horribly traumatic and yes, it could even lead to death. Maybe not such a good analogy with sex there, but well, you I don't take know. The the, point. I mean, this is the other thing that we, I mean, mm. our generation had to grow up with them. Um, mm. AIDS. Yes, and all those horrible ads with exactly. the Grim Reaper. Exactly. Oh. All of a sudden, just as 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 <laughs> everybody was beginning to get interested in sex, yes. we were getting told, "How by the way, you might this will die. kill you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! And you wonder how Generation X isn't completely traumatized yeah. <laughs> from having had all that. Yes. Anyway, anyway where were we? Go on. Before we start talking about our own trauma. That's right. Before yes. And I think it is important that, you know, as parents, you are actually, you are able to talk about the emotional side, the positive emotional side. I was I actually got a bit of flack in the um, in the Twitter sphere recently because um, I'd been interviewed for a young women's magazine, girlfriend magazine, and which was, you know, more for the preteens, early teens, uh, around sex. And I was quoted in it as saying, When sex is good, it's very, very good, but when it's bad, it's horrid. Right, and there was I got some flack because apparently I was encouraging girls to have sex by telling them that it was good. I was like, well, actually, no, I'm not encouraging them to have sex by telling them that it's good. I'm actually being honest because they know that sex can be good. What I'm stressing is that yes, if it's good, it's great. Yes, good sex is a good thing, but if it's not, don't go there. It goes back to that constant analogy we keep putting up of cooking. Mm. If you don't know how to cook. Mm it's more likely that you're going to make something unpalatable, that at the very least is going to be unpleasant. At yes. the very worst, it's mm. going to be inedible mm. or can make mm. you sick. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, talking to so many people about their sex lives, and I genuinely ask about their early sexual experiences, and just time and time again, you know, people who have had positive early sexual experiences tend to have a more positive approach to sex in general. And those who've had traumatic, which is probably the vast majority of my clients at least. Which um, is why you exist. Yeah. It, it is, it's been awful. And a lot of it is because um, so often, I, mean, I can't believe how often young people get drunk and shag a random at some party. And then it's awful. It's awful for the boys. It's awful for the girls. I would love to know the statistics <laughs> if we can get the honest statistics yes. on how many people's first encounter mm. with sexuality from real sex mm is mediated by drugs or alcohol. Mm. I would love to know. Yeah, and at parties and stuff where they're kind of feeling under pressure or they should or I've got to get this over and done with or, gosh, I'm 17 years old or whatever, you know, in some some culture, Or in some cultures where they actually, where where there's a pool of, especially among boys, mm. there's a pool of money that goes together here. Here's some money. We've paid a prostitute for your... Oh, yes, that happens too. Oh, I just think that sounds so horrible. Mm. I can't begin. As opposed to people whose first sexual encounter, which was my own, and I think that's partly why I have a positive approach, which is actually two young people who are in love and they work up to it. You start and you kiss a bit and bottle a bit and then you end up making love and it's kind of, you know, sweet and then it becomes this beautiful journey and it's a beautiful discovery, which never ends, Right. 
And as parents, the more we can encourage our children to have that second type of early sexual experience, how much better is it for them and their general health, well-being and positivity in life in general for the rest of their lives? like the same attitude you have towards cooking. If you have a mm. bad attitude towards food, mm. you're never going to be more than three meat and three veg or something. Yeah, or just eat fast food, bad food all the time and wonder why you're overweight and unhealthy. Mm, and having bad depressed. sex all the time and you're wondering why you're depressed and unhealthy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your relationships your relationships bad. don't work. And you're not getting on with the kids and they're grumpy and you're in the job that you hate. And yeah, blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, negative feedback loop, negative yeah, feedback loop, yeah, exactly. feedback loop. Yeah. So a lot about bringing up your kids to mm. be sex positive is about creating a positive loop. Yes, Yes, and it starts with you, you as the parents, you as a parent feeling good and doing the work you need to do to make sure that you've overcome any past traumas and that you have a positive approach. And I, as I keep stressing, the tantric approach is so wonderful because it is so positive and it's slow and it incorporates the spiritual and it's finding the spiritual and the pleasure and the positive in everyday life. So it, there's no easy answer here because mm. for, with many mm. parents, they, they have to deal with their own issues. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if they have sex negativity inside them for whatever reason, mm-hmm. all of which is perfectly normal mm-hmm. to, for people to mm, have problems. Most of us do. We live in a pretty sexually dysfunctional society. So you're, it's going okay to have, to you're going to have to fix yourself mm. too. And you're going to, well, and sometimes you're going to have to do it while mm-hmm. you're bringing up kids. Yes. So for those of you who haven't done this work yet <laughs> and you're not parents, great, because mm-hmm. this is your opportunity to do it. Yes. You start here and now. For those of you who are already in the thick of it, mm. well, it's going to be a little harder but not impossible. It's never too late. And I've had a number of clients <clears throat> say to me that um, since coming to see me and doing the work with me, they've changed the way they relate to particularly their teenage children. And I've had a number of men in particular who've said that they're now much better able to talk to their sons about sexuality and so forth. And they're actually having really quite open relationship, uh, open conversations to the point of, you know, how do you pleasure, you know, a woman? How should I approach my girlfriend? Um, you know, to like, just to share something else about Ralph, um, it wasn't that long ago. He's got a lovely girlfriend. And uh, he, we were sitting in the car driving long distances, which always seems to be a good time to actually talk to him. And he said, uh, Mum, I said, yes. And he goes, you know how you're an expert and all that? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, it does seem that it would be a bit silly of me not to take advantage of that. I'm like, yes. He said, so can I ask you a few questions? I said, of course you can. And he was actually asking me quite explicit questions about, you know, how to pleasure a girl and, you know, orgasms and, you know, even to the extent of, you know, should he give her an orgasm before they have intercourse or afterwards or what's, how does that work and what if this, <laughs> and we just had this really wonderful conversation. What did, give, us, give us an insight of what you said. Oh, God, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the point was, was, you know, we had a discussion around it. And, you know, I treated him just like a, a human being who has perfectly normal questions, just as he was, if he was asking me how to make a white sauce or you know, <laughs> how to actually get an entire meal on the table when different, you know, foods take different lengths of time to cook. What, ha- what happens in, I think that's also a really important point about having a rela- the relationship that you have with your children. Mm. A lot of single parents, for example, especially single mothers, mm-hmm. might find it incredibly awkward to talk to their sons about this. It might be. In which case, it's really important, I think, for those boys to have a male male role model. I think it's really important for boys to have a male role model. 
whether it's an uncle or a teacher or, you know, sporting coach. Or Someone whom the mother trusts to be yes. able to impart good quality information. Yeah, and just in all parts of life and just to get that sort of masculine energy going across. It must also be equally difficult for a male single parent mm. to have to deal with this with their daughter, with his daughters. Yeah, absolutely. And even if, you know, the mother is around, if they're separated and he has, you know, large periods of time with his daughter, yeah, that he can have an open relationship with her. So there are there, there is still a role for that, ma- maintaining the... the relationship within the gender mm. because they're just no matter how well educated you might be as a woman mm. the fact that you have this wonderful relationship with yourself but you can discuss this but even then great. i found out i found out that when he first had sex he told his father before he told me mm. and i was like ralph i'm the expert <laughs> and he goes yeah but you're my mother yeah he's like you know this is boy stuff i had to tell dad yeah. <laughs> i'm like okay fair enough Fair enough. And that's, not, and that's perfectly reasonable. And that's perfectly reasonable. Mm. The, we, there are often conversations about this subject, about all the terrible things about exposing people to sexual education when they're too young or they're mm. too not ready for mm-hmm. it and all of these terrible things. Mm. However, what is also not often discussed mm. is that the results of not discussing sex. Yes. What are the worst things that can happen by keeping things in a box so that the kids grow up ignorant. Then they'll assume that that what their peers are saying or implying is what's normal and that they should be doing things that they're not necessarily ready for, such as getting drunk and having a mad shag with a random and being traumatised for the rest of their lives. What else? Oh, doing other things. Like how many young women are there out there who think that being, you know, sexually empowered is acting like a high-class escort without being paid for it? Some of the stuff that they get up to. Now, if I mean, if they want to do that, fine. But so often they're doing things that they don't actually want to do because they think that they should do it. And they're also coming from a disempowered space because they don't exactly know what they might be getting Mm. into. They might be sending out signals that Mm. might be being misinterpreted Mm. and that could cause all sorts of other problems. And in an extreme case, you can have sexual ignorance that is so bad Mm. that it is criminally traumatic. I can give you an example from um, Mm -hmm. my own family history. My mother wasn't told anything, but she Mm. came from a generation where you just didn't discuss it at all. The first time that she had her period, Mm. she thought she was bleeding to death. Oh, well, that was very common. Mm. Horrible. I've had clients in that situation, and and some even quite young. Even today. You think that's that's ancient history? Well, yeah, I mean, my mother's 80, so. Mm. Yes. And it's still going on now. Mm. Yes, and the number of people who got married without knowing anything about actual sexual intercourse is pretty shocking. Another another story I heard anecdotally was a married couple that went to a doctor because for them um, sex was pa- very painful, especially for her. Mm-hmm. She couldn't understand why it was so incredibly p- painful, et cetera, et cetera. It was only upon, after considerable discussion mm-hmm. and, and um, examination, mm. that the doctor realised that the um, young lady's... Um, urethra was unnaturally distended the husband had been trying to penetrate the urethra the urethra not the vagina mm-hmm. i had a similar case where they'd been trying to have anal sex because they didn't know where the vagina was how can you not find a vagina well because if the hymen's quite tight and closed over it can be quite hard to to have intercourse the first time well there you are mm. 
But also they're not having a look. They're not checking out what's down there. All they know is that there's got to be something down there that they kind of put their penis in. Other examples of um, that I've come across um, with clients, I've had a couple of cases where the as girls, the women were brought up to know that sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, don't have sex before marriage, don't have sex before marriage, sex is bad, sex is bad. So by the time they got married, they said that so well, it's like a mantra. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't able to have sex. They had vaginismus and vaginismus is when the muscles of the vagina are so tight, it's not possible for the penis to enter. So subconsciously, they were utterly convinced that sex was going to lead to such disasters that not even their vaginas would comply. Yeah, and they, they simply couldn't and it wasn't it was no longer an intellectual thing. It had been completely embodied in, in within themselves that sex is banned mustn't have sex. So it, for those people who believe that sexual um, education or talking too much about sex mm. is going to lead to rack and ruin, mm-hmm. not talking about it is going to lead to worse rack and ruin. Oh, well, it can. And, you know, children will let you know what they're ready for as well. I mean, look, I'm basing this partly on my own experience, but my now 12-year-old daughter was having sex education at school last year and, you know, and I was looking at what she was learning and stuff and I sat down and I said, you know, do you want to, you know, if there's anything you want to talk about or, you know, do you want me to show you some pictures or some other books? She's like, no, mum, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I said, well, you know, if you ever want to talk to me about anything, you know, I'm here. And she goes, yes, I know that. She goes, I'm fine with what I know right now. And she didn't want to know anymore. And there's no reason, to, again, you can, you, can actually go, you can actually go too far because yes. uh, you can get to a point where you want to, you might want to push somebody before they're ready well yes and i've had some clients who've had like really kind of like hippie trippy type parents who you know were always naked all the time and so completely open about their sexuality oh, man, like you're just so <laughs> so uptight <laughs> that it actually had the opposite effect on the kids and they became quite prudish because mm. there was like just too much openness and it made them feel really uncomfortable especially when they're young which brings me to a very important point about yeah. this sort of stuff which mm. is really about setting boundaries mm-hmm it's so important to know where the limits are and to be sensitive to the boundaries shift all the time. Yes, they do. And it's interesting, like, even if you're thinking about children and sexuality, like, there's periods in a child's life when they've got more of the sex hormones flowing. And often kids around about the four, five-year-old age are actually quite sexual. They've got lots of those hormones flowing and they might have crushes on boys or girls or they might kiss them a bit and stuff. In, in, fact, one of the, one, changes. in fact, one of the things that mm. Freud was being pilloried about when he mm-hmm. first was talking about pioneering this area. Yeah. The idea to Victorians that <gasps> children are actually sexual beings was mm. so shocking and mm. so disgusting to them that they just threw out the baby with bathwater and not even... But we think. still do that. That's still so strong in our society. The fact is that children are very highly sensual. And I, don't, mm. I don't know why we keep talking about children as if they're not us. Yeah. The whole <laughs> dialogue is completely ridiculous. When I'm going to change this right now. Good. When we are younger, yes. we are much more sexual mm-hmm. between zero and five mm-hmm. than we are between five and ten. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. And that's when it's like, ooh, boys' germs, girls' germs and all that sort of stuff. And then the pre-puberty starts kicking in again and suddenly they're really interested in the opposite sex again. Mm. We'll talk about we'll talk more about this in the specifics of how you talk to children mm-hmm. about sex and sexuality after the break. Yes. Welcome back to the Tantric Lounge. And, of course, our program is sponsored by the lovely Lilo people. Lilo. Who, who hail from Sweden. They do. And are um, 
and they produce these wonderful ob- objects of art. And objets d'art. Yes, and today's objet du jour. Objet du jour. If you go to the Lilo website, you can you can see this in a picture. It's lelo.com. That's lelo.com. This is the Gigi. The Gigi. Woo-woo. Woohoo! <laughs> no, just the Gigi. Don't. Look, no, look, they call it the Gigi. Woo-woo. It's a, it's a, just the Gigi. This is Gigi. G I G I. Yes. Now, the Gigi is a rather beautiful object that looks a little bit like um, scrimshaw. Like what? You know those things that, um, you know, whale teeth that are carved? Like oh, yes, the Eskimos, yes, it yes. looks, it, for some ah. reason, it's vaguely reminiscent of those wonderful things that you dig up well, in archaeology. Because it's long with just that gentle arc. It's a, yes, it's, it's long with the gentle arc, and it has mm. this special end, it which does. is specifically designed mm. for finding the, the, the venerable G-spot. Well, look, it does two things, if I may take it, because I, I have to say, listeners, just between you and me, all 15,000 of you, that this is my personal favourite. I have to say this is my personal favourite, because it does have this flattened end which I personally find is very good for external stimulation around the clitoris but it's also designed so that if you put it internally it will stimulate the g-spot and if you want to combine a little bit of internal g-spot stimulation with this and your partner can hold the implement while stimulating you on the outside clitorally you'll probably have rather a lovely time of it so whether it's for solo play on your own or whether it's for partnered play and your partner holds it or you hold it and then there's more stimulation on the outside as well fantastic simultaneous g-spot and um, clitoral stimulation or any of the other spots on the inside which we've covered in earlier programs la la you'll be going gigi gigi and just to mention that point again Mm. about we need to say it if we have to say it a hundred thousand times we'll say it a hundred thousand times people need to respect their individuality their own individual anatomy yes one object might do absolutely nothing for them while mm-hmm. another one might just send them into raptures, raptures. yes and, and that's why i say i like this particular one it's my favorite there's all these other beautiful ones yeah lilo has a whole bunch love, yes exactly so go go onto the favorite. lilo website have a look at the different shapes and sizes and just intuit your way mm. yes or find a lovely friendly classy adult shop near you and um, pop in and actually talk to the experts who staff the shops. Yeah, because they're very well, they're, they're mm. very well worse. And worse. there are some really lovely ones around these days. They're not all really tacky sort of men in raincoat type establishments. Some of them are really quite beautiful. We're going to depart from our usual pattern in that mm. Jacqueline doesn't have any sort of meditational exercises or experiential exercises. What we're going to do, though, is because this is a program about education and about we are going to true to our general principle of demonstrating rather than talking at you, we're going to role play some conversations between um, some kids, Mm -hmm. who'll be me, and Jacqueline will be Jacqueline being the parent, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk and we'll just give you an idea of what sex positive education would sound like in real life situations okay yes so we'll start off with a three-year-old knocking on mummy and daddy's door (laughs) while mummy and daddy are having sex okay so do you want to make sexual sounds or (laughs) what kind of program do you think this is all right well in that case in that oh shh shh. okay (laughs) here we go mummy yes buddy yes come here 
Oh, oh sweetheart. Oh, I come in. Just for a moment. Oh, I come in. Mummy and Daddy are having cuddle time. Oh, I come in. Now I want to cuddle too. Okay, all right. Just a moment. Okay, you can open the door now. In you come, oh, sweetheart. Ah! Sleeping <laughs> on bed, tumbling around, completely oblivious to what was happening there seconds before. That's okay. And just as an aside, Mummy and Daddy are just smiling at each other, rolling eyes slightly, and then saying, so, so Xavier, this is, has the program finished? Do you want to watch another episode of Thomas the Tank Engine? Okay. Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You coming? No, you know, Mummy and Daddy are having cuddle time. Oh, Okay. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. Well, yeah, they don't need to know too much more than that, really. And you really and and, but you, the important point there is that you mm-hmm. you train the kid you're not to just not to barge in. Yes, yes, but at the same time, you're not sort of going stay away, stay away, or go leave, get away, or being really awkward about oh god, what do we do now? Oh my god, yeah. Or when the child comes in, you know, you, I actually say to parents, you know, like have sex with your, with your pyjamas on or, you know, a nightie on or something. So it's actually not that difficult if a child does come in. You can just pull your nightie down. Like they don't have to know. You don't have to have sex naked. Exactly. And, if it, and, and it, it can be awkward because mm. anyway, the, you can never tell when a kid will wake up in the mm. middle of the night. Well, but obviously true. if you're having sick afternoon sex or as you used to do mm-hmm. with your ex, you used Sunday to, morning. Yeah, well, I was also thinking about lunchtime. Oh, yes. The lunchtime sessions. Yes. Because you'd, you'd have a long lunch. Yes. In inverted commas. In inverted commas <laughs> where that great child-minding centre known as the education system is looking after them <laughs> so that you can yeah. actually have some time. Mm. To rekindle that. Yes. But my personal favourite, just to share my own personal eroticism and proclivities, is I love the Sunday morning lie-in, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the children would love to be able to watch, you know, lots of videos on a Sunday morning and leave mum and dad alone. I remember my eldest too, would, he loved Lego, you know, like he used to love making things. <laughs> we would say to him things like, go and make a super duper galactic you know, space station with your Lego. So he'd go off for, uh, you know, a little while and then he'd come back, Gives knock on the door. a long project. <laughs> well, yeah, he'd knock on the door, Mum, Dad, I've finished, can I show you? And he'd be like, yeah, okay, come on in, show us, you know, your mega galactics. And then we'd say, okay, this is fantastic, but how about if you make a super-duper galactic blaster space station with extra blah-blahs? And he'd go, oh, okay. And then he'd toddle off and give us another <laughs> five to ten minutes of space and but the thing is a lot of parents would give up at that point because they get interrupted and oh this is all just too hard you know especially if the child's younger and maybe the so baby. you also have to train yourself you have to train yourselves as well just say oh yeah that's that's quite funny and or if it comes up and goes i don't know how to put the how to you know put the next dvd in well so you get up and you put the dvd and you come back and the other one's just kind of waiting there maybe keeping themselves occupied so they stay in the zone and get back into it all right, scenario two, five-year-old. Five-year-old. Mummy. Yes, Xavier. <laughs> where do babies come from? Ah, that's a very good question, Xavier. What have you noticed so far about about babies and where, where they come from? Well, well, Rick at school says that they grow in the pumpkin patch. In the pumpkin patch? Well, you remember how, you know, Auntie, Auntie Susie, you know, before she had your cousin... Oh, yeah. And she had the big tummy. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? You were quite young at the time. Oh, yeah. Remember. She had that great big tummy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Stop. It wasn't wind. <laughs> You're taking this seriously, Xavier. <laughs> 
That was the baby. That was your little cousin George growing yeah, inside. Yeah, but how did baby get in mummy's tummy? Well, yes, that's a good question. And it's like there's a seed that comes from daddy and goes inside mummy, right, where it meets the little egg because mummy has these tiny, tiny little eggs inside her. And one of daddy's seeds goes inside and meets the little egg inside mummy and that's where the baby starts growing. How does that happen? Well, you know how mummy and daddy have cuddle time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes when mummy and daddy have cuddle time, a seed will come from daddy and go inside mummy. That's how you were made. Well, he sneezes on her. No, he doesn't sneeze. It's about cuddles. Oh, okay. What's for breakfast? (laughs) That's so true. It's kind of like they'll be satisfied at some point. You don't have to go on and on. And, you know, five-year-olds, you don't have to talk about penises and vaginas, but, you know, maybe if they've heard there's something about penises and vaginas. And you see, that that's how the, the seed comes out of daddy's penis and goes inside mummy's vagina. Or go to the toilet. A little bit like that. Does he go to the toilet on you, mummy? <laughs> no, it's different. Oh, it's different. Okay. It's What's more for, like cuddles. Okay. What's for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> so, so and, and I'll also relate a little story here from my... Um, from my own family, mm. my sister, who has a very uh, strong scientific education mm. and comes from a from biological point of mm. view, when the, when the kids, were, her sons were very, very young, she'd just say, she, you'd observe insects in, mm. in mating. Uh, mating. Yeah. And, and, and they'd say, what are they doing? And said, they're exchanging cells mm-hmm. to make babies. Oh, is that how it happens? Yes, there's an exchange of cells. Yep, that's another way of putting it. Which is... Sounds cold and scientific, but it's actually really a very, yeah, it's quite good. very reasonable. And it all makes sense to a little kid. Okay. Um, a 15-year-old with mm. the first serious boyfriend-girlfriend. Mm. Okay, fine. So, mother, mother, <laughs> I, I, I like, like, he's just so, like, wonderful, mother. And yes, Xavier. <laughs> Okay, so the point is she's coming in. So Xavier is coming in and she said, oh, but he's just so hot. Oh, mm. right. What do you do when the hormones are raging? Yeah, so Xavier, you know, so odd. Have you two been kissing or something? Oh, yeah, a bit. Yeah, and how does that make you feel? It's okay. Yeah? yeah. It's okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah, and it is. It's really normal. Like when you meet a guy, a boy, and you like him and everything, and you might just look at each other or you might kiss and stuff. That feels really good. Yeah. So it's just a matter of in continuing and eliciting and so, and you just have mm. to get to a point where. Yes, and there might be a point where, so, Xavieretta, you know, I know that you've had sex ed at school, but do we need to go over anything at this point in time? I'm fine. You sure? Yep. Okay, I just want you to know that if you do have any questions, yep, just come to me. Okay, so the seventeen-year-old um, Ralph is coming in and saying, uh, "Mum, um, I want to have, um, um, uh, you know, I want to have um, Leah over <laughs> for the night." Is that okay? Well, you know, I guess you know you and Leah have been together for quite a while, haven't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, and why is it that you'd like to bring her over? Well, you know. Well, if you could just tell a me. sleepover. You want her in your bedroom, yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Well, look, you know, I have actually spoken to Lee's mum and she's okay with that. And I'm okay with that. Which is actually the most important piece of information that you <laughs> yes. really do have to do. There has to be consent on both parents. Well, so. I believe so, especially for the girl. You, you know, if you're talking about a, if it's a boy asking you that the girl knows. Mm. Yeah? The girl's parents are involved as well. 
So that gives you an idea of how to negotiate. Of course, if you have any further questions, feel free to... Um, <laughs> yes, I feel we did that very quickly, but we are running out of we time, We are running out of we? time. We are, yes, well, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yes. And next week, we're going to talk about time flying even faster because next week's topic is... Riding the tantric wave. Or how to have a one-hour orgasm. Ooh. Gosh, it's a bit of a different topic from this week, isn't it? Well, yes, but if we don't keep people interested and in, with the wonderful contrast that is sexuality, they're going to turn off in spades. Yes, it's all important, all the different levels and aspects of sexuality, from bringing your children up sex positive to learning to ride the orgasmic wave. See you all, or no, talk to you all next week. Okay.